welcome to tonight's episode of the Group Therapy Podcast. Tonight we have John Oakes Dalton, independent movie maker, writer. Um, I looked at your IMDb page. You are prolific in your work. You put out a lot of stuff. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, if you don't mind. Sure. Well, uh, I uh, am from Muncie, Indiana. I went to Ball State University and studied film. My first, my first paying scholarship at Ball State and won one of those. Um, that was so long ago that uh, back then they gave you tickets to the election uh, show when you won the scholarship. And my wife and I uh, drove to New York City in uh, 1988 and uh, I saw Isaiah Thomas on the show and the musical guest was Terrence Trent Darby. So that tells you how long ago that was on the air. Um, so um, I was always interested in screenwriting and playwriting. And um, for a long time, I worked in television after that. When I graduated college in 88, I worked in uh, television and broadcasting and educational media. Um, I sold my first real screenplay in 1999. I had, um, I was helping a friend, uh, an Indiana filmmaker named Ivan Rogers, who's since passed away, but I helped him with a movie he was working on. Uh, I was actually doing some editing on it. Um, he had shot it on 16 millimeter. This is kind of technical, but it, uh, he transferred it to VHS tape with open edge numbers. And I helped him do tape deck editing um, after hours at the job I was at at the time. I'm not there anymore, so it doesn't matter if I say I was working after hours using the equipment. But I helped him do all this tape editing and got a credit on the movie. It's called Forgive Me, Father. It's a heartwarming tale of a uh, hitman who repents and becomes a priest, but then somebody kills his brother, becomes a hitman again. You know, it's one of those kind of things. And Ivan stars in it. And... Um, when that was um, done, we were going to settle up. I have an assistant editor credit on it. And um, I said, you know, I don't think there's going to be a lot more movies shot in Indiana. This was in the late 80s. But I said, but I think I could write a screenplay from anywhere. So we, will you help me shop some screenplays? And he was good to his word and helped me shop some scripts around. Um, in the late 90s, I sold uh, one called Player in the Game. And it was on the, in all the trades and Hollywood Reporter and variety you know that i had sold a screenplay it was going to be produced and uh ray don chong this is 90s stuff now ray don chong was maybe going to be in it it was that kind of thing um so i had decided when this was in development um that i would write a hundred letters to um directors and producers and production companies and um and say, hey, I, if you'll see this week's trades, Variety and Hollywood Reporter, I've got a movie in development. I'm looking for representation, da da da, da. So I literally wrote 100 letters. And I got this idea from, I was looking at the book up here, uh, John Kennedy Tool, when he wrote Confederacy of Dunces, he had decided he would write 100 letters to try to get the book published. Now, what he decided was if he didn't get any responses, he was going to kill himself, which is what he did, unfortunately, because that book became one of the great classic novels of the 20th century but so my goal was to do like john kennedy tool except for the end game but my part really was i was gonna write 100 letters like he did so i i had a, a move i had a screenplay in development that, and it was in the trades and i wrote 100 letters and only got one response and it was kind of funny because uh i had a student i was working at ball state university at the time in educational media and i had a student that had these videos and he was like I, you ought to look at some of these movies and it was from a guy named Mark Polonia. 
who I didn't know about at the time, the Polonia brothers, who were, you know, very, very well-known directive uh, video um, directors. They had uh, made the first movie ever shot on Super VHS that was picked up by Blockbuster, and that was Feeders. Well, I had no idea, but this student of mine really liked these guys. I mean, you got to watch a couple of these movies. So I watched them, and I thought, you know, there's something about this that's interesting. And so I wrote this guy a letter. I found out he worked at a college like I did. So actually, I, I think I actually sent him an email. I found his uh, email address. This is in the early days of email, in like the late 90s. He was the only person that wrote me back. And he was in this direct-to-video world, which I didn't really know much about, but it was really taken off in the late 90s, all the mom-and-pop video stores needing content and all that. So um, we messed around with a couple of things, and finally a, a Bigfoot movie uh, called Among Us, he uh, and I worked on together, and I went to Pennsylvania where it was shot and uh, helped, you know, because I was a TV guy, so I went out and helped. And while I was out on the set, the distributor called and said, hey, we need three more movies. And they, Mark Polonia turned to me and was like, hey, can you write three movies for us this year? And I, I didn't think I could write movies that fast at the time. Now, flash forward 20 years and I wrote three in six weeks for Mark. But back then, I didn't think I could write three in one year. I was like, I don't know about that. But so I took two movies and rewrote over them that John Polonia had written. And then I wrote one brand new. Um, and those movies were uh, Peter Rottentail, which has been rated one of the worst horror movies of all time at places like Nerdly and Fangoria, which means it's been seen by everybody. And then Razor Teeth, which I rewrote, um, and nobody has seen it or cares about it. And it's actually better to have the first thing happen. And then I did one myself called um, Demons on a Dead End Street, which ended up not getting made. So that's like the perfect like capsule of working in the B-movie world, one that everybody hates, one that nobody saw and one that doesn't get made. But the one that everybody hates, people see. You know, people have watched that movie for years and years, especially around Easter. So um, so after that, I was off to the races. So now it's like early 2000s and um, the, you know, the direct-to-DVD world is booming. So, um, you know, I did that for a long time and um, <clears throat> come around about, you know, 17 or so. So maybe, you know, seven, eight years later, I was kind of in the place where I wasn't getting asked to do things I wanted to do or wasn't getting offered much of anything. So that's when I decided I'd make my own movie. And I wrote a screenplay just for myself and um, decided I would shoot it at my own house, which I'm where I'm at right now. And that I um, would just call in every favor I'd ever, you know, made in the last 20 years. And a guy that we both know, Henrik Kuto, agreed to DP it for me. Um, I'd written four or five movies for him, and he came over and gave me five days to shoot the movie. And uh, he also produced it for me, really helped me kind of learn. I, I knew about TV directing, but I found that movies were a whole nother thing. You know, and so I made a movie called The Girl in the Crawl Space. I shot most of it here at my house. I wrote it for myself and what my interests were. My plan was to uh, sell it at card tables at conventions and stuff like that, horror conventions. But a distributor picked it up and nobody was more surprised than me when it was at Walmart and Family Video and all that. And then the, you know, the same old question you always hear, okay, what are you working on next? Well, I hadn't been working on anything. I wanted to make a movie for myself. And so <clears throat> that very day that Henrik Kuto and I did the sent the deliverables uh, to ITN for um, the girl in the crawl space, 
I started working on Scarecrow County and that was January of 18. Um, and I shot it in March of 18 and then no wait a minute, of 19. Yeah. March of 19. Uh, then in October of 19, it screened in Iowa city at a film festival. So from January of 19 to, uh, October of 19 was its entire gestation. And, you know, we were starting, going to start shooting another movie in March of 20. And then everything that happened, happened. And, uh, who knows what's next. So that's, that's, uh, the last 20 years in, uh, 10 minutes. So, well, you know, you talk about the, the direct video market and the video stores and stuff. I was a, uh, a manager at Hollywood Video back in the day. <clears throat> and I remember getting these movies that, you know, and, and I loved them. And I would, you know, anytime we'd get the new movies, I'd always get, you know, the new ones, you know, okay, we got Harry Potter in, we got the Fast and the Furious, we got this, this, and this. Ooh, okay, that's a new one I ain't seen before. And, you know, they always end up, I took them home and I watched them. And I would always tell, because people knew to come to me when they wanted to watch horror movies and I was the guy that would go like, yeah, yeah, this one, this one, this one, this one, and don't watch that one. Um, <laughs> That's interesting. The, the, the one. That's the funny one because. Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say like the very last thing that I did, I feel like I did before coronavirus was so girl in the crawl space came out in February of 20. Yeah. And like, and then Scarecrow County came out in October of 20. But so like February of 20, I went to Chicago for a, um, uh, for work. And I knew I was up there Sunday, Monday, and I knew that Tuesday it was coming out in family video. So I actually got on the family video site and figured out like between Chicago and my home in Indiana, like there were six or eight family video stores mm -hmm. kind of a like going down to like Lafayette and then over towards Muncie and then on towards Newcastle, maybe eight or 10. I was like, well, why don't I stop at those on the way home? So I stopped at the ones in Indiana, everyone I could find. It was like, Hey, um, I directed this movie girl in the crawl space. I hope you pick it up. It was shot here in Indiana. And by and large, the people were very, very friendly. Uh, the managers and the people working there, you know, they were interested because I knew that those are the people like yourself that someone say, hey, what should we watch tonight? He's, oh, well, this was shot in Indiana, you know, whatever. Some of them already had it there. Um, you know, they, it was ready to go out the next day. This was on Monday. Um, and then, um, you know, some people asked for a picture. I mean, it was really kind of cool. I think I signed a couple. It was just a neat experience. And then, of course, that was the very last thing I did before lockdown. So, but it, I'm not saying I, I ushered in the fall of family video or the beginning of coronavirus, but it definitely happened at the same time. So that's interesting because I felt I knew if I went and talked to people that they would recommend it to the people that worked at Hollywood video, family video, and stuff, the people that would, uh, you know, be talking to the customers and telling them things and getting recommendations. Oh, yeah. And it, it's, it's fun because, you know, you knew, you knew your crowd. Um, you know, to this day, I still know the ones because I, I own a comic book store and I sell, I have a ton of DVDs. Matter of fact, I got um, Scarecrow Country and uh, a bunch of other ones. Um, I got that one sitting there because oh, I, really? I, I got it in when uh, uh, our Hollywood, our family video went out of business. And so, hmm. 
when they were selling it all off, I went in there and bought a bunch of movies. Then on top of that, some of my customers went in and bought movies. So I end up with a ton of movies. So any anytime That's I'm, I'm, I'm a sucker for Scarecrow movies. So as soon as I saw Scarecrow Country, I'm like, that's going in Paul's collection. And, <laughs> and at the time, it's I funny didn't... because like, <clears throat> yeah, like when, um, so, you know, Henrik is from a city. He's from Dayton. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Photography. And, you know, this, I live way out in the country. I live on like five acres. I've got chickens, you know, I, if you see, if you see a girl in the crawl space, that is my house in that. And that's my property, my land and everything. The shed that is in the kind of the third act of the movie that's on my and my property and all that. I mean, I shot most of the movie here in just two weekends. And so Henrik stayed the weekends, both those weekends with me. And actually Aaron Ryan stayed here. John Hambrick stayed here. I mean, we had a fun time. It was a lot of work because we were shooting 20 page script days, but we had a lot of fun also. And um, anyway, um, and Joni Durian's in the movie. She drove back and forth. She had a, uh, infant at the time or was an infant at the time she's older now but she uh, was driving back and forth but most of the people stayed here and um eric whiting stayed here henrik stayed here with my crew people so it was it was a fun atmosphere but um i remember henrik saying you know he wasn't used to really country life and he was like um this is kind of like uh this reminds me of dark night of the scarecrow out here and i'm like dark night of the scarecrow and we got to talking about it you know and um and so between the two weekends of filming, um, I rented Dark Knight of the Scarecrow and watched it because I was curious what he, I didn't, I didn't remember it. It's a TV movie from the seventies. Yep. And um, so I, yeah, so I was like, okay, I see what he sees about this. And so flash forward to when we were finishing um, Girl in the Crawl Space, the day we did the director's commentary, he and I did it together. We went out and walked Henrik's dogs around his neighborhood there in, in Dayton and um, I was like, do you remember when you were talking about when you were shooting the movie, how it was like Dark Knight of the Scarecrow out there, you know, where I live and everything? And he was like, yeah. So, you know, I, I watched that movie. And if I were to do it today, I don't think I'd make it about a mentally disabled person. I think it, I would make it about a gay kid, you know, in the 80s. And, you know, he gets tormented and everything. And then, you know, same kind of thing. He, But if I was to redo it, that's how I would do it because, you know, it just wasn't that open back then. And there were a lot of people that, you know, it just wasn't talked about as openly as it is now. So I think that would be a more relevant story for today that, you know, some kids in the eighties beat up a gay kid and then flash forward 20 years and they're get, you know, that kid is getting revenge, uh, you know, in a, in a, and he said, you know what, you should write that. <laughs> and so he and I started talking and we kind of talked through the whole plot while we were walking the dogs. Okay, I think I will go home and write that. That was it. Like I said, that was in January. And, you know, nine or 10 weeks later, we were shooting. I think I wrote it in three weeks. I wrote it really quick. I mean, it was because it came so quickly, but that's how it started. Um, and it's funny because I've got a lot, had a lot of people since then say, you know, they've just kind of got a thing for Scarecrow movies. And uh, that's why, that's why they ended up watching it just because they're interested in Scarecrow movies. So, but that was the ge genesis of it was really Henrik thinking that where I live in rural Indiana looks like Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. I could see that. I mean, I've, I've, I've got friends and family that live over in Indiana and it's, uh, and I live yeah, down. We're not country. that far apart, actually. Yeah. I live, I live out in a, I lived out in the country here in, uh, um, not far from where I live now. 
Um, it was seven miles from one town to the other town. So literally my house was dead square in the middle. So it was like seven and a quarter mile to, to Sydney and like seven and like an eighth of a mile to Piqua. So I lived mm-hmm. out in the middle of, of what I considered nowhere because I was in high school at the time. And, and uh, so mm-hmm. it sucked when you're a you know, high school kid, you have to travel no matter where you want to go. So, <clears throat> mm-hmm. um, you know, you were talking about putting out these movies and, and, and being able to write it in what you say, like six to 10 weeks. Um, have you ever ran into this where you had an idea you, you really put a lot of effort into a script and then you're like maybe watching, uh, you know, Netflix or Amazon or something like it. And all of a sudden you see something that's really, really super close to what you just worked on. Like, yeah, I think it happens to everybody. Um, sure. Um, and you always say, Oh, that person beat me to the market, you know, but I, I think there is, um, yeah, I think there's, I, I wouldn't say there's a finite amount of ideas, but I think that there people certainly do sometimes land on the same kinds of ideas. Uh, but yeah, that is cert- that's happened to uh, everybody I know that's ever worked on a screenplay. They start working on something and then they go, oh, that looks, boy, that sure looks like what I was wanting to do. And sometimes if that, you know, you get frustrated sometimes because if they get to market before you and it's just too, it's just too similar, you just really can't go that same way. You have to kind of think of something else. But yeah, I think um, I, that happens to everybody that writes or creates anything. There's always somebody out there, you know, kind of thinking along those lines or maybe have it, have the same influences that you do. And so, yeah, that does happen for sure. Yeah. Um, th- this is my whole go-to thing is um, I had wrote a movie. Uh, I plan on shooting it in uh, 2020. Um, and uh, when everything got put on hold, I just sat around my house like everybody else and was watching TV and it was literally one of the ones where I'm on Amazon one night and I'm watching this trailer to a movie and I'm like, oh, that's really, really, really close to my idea. And then I watched the movie and I'm like, okay, well, that's gone. So I scrapped 90% of it, rewrote it, and now it's buried around here somewhere because I've never gotten back to mm-hmm. actually doing anything with it. Um, I, I guess it's hard to get something started. Yep. There um, we go. I, I was saying that I, I, I'll start, I'll give you a little space here. So I was literally a day from shooting my new movie and um, it's been hard to get back to with COVID. I, I really empathize with what you're saying about not being able to get back to a project. Cause you know, I thought maybe I'll start up in the fall and then there was Delta. And then I thought maybe I can start in the spring, you know, like in March when I shot my other two movies over spring break at my school, I work at. But, you know, now we got Omicron and that seems worse than Delta. So there's probably not not a very good chance at all that I'm going to start a new movie in the next six or eight weeks or pick my movie back up. But I think the good thing that happened was that I actually stopped. um, Like it was the night before. So I was going to take spring break off of work at the school I work at. And probably a few days before that, we'd found out that we were going to be closed for spring break and then two more weeks and we'd be home for three weeks and then that would be it you know the coronavirus would be over that's what we all thought oh yeah so i i was like okay so i went and scouted the we were shooting at a almost all of it at a house not my house this time 
So I went to that guy's house and did a scout and took pictures. And I mean, I was home. I bought all the groceries for the first weekend to make all the sandwiches and everything. And, you know, everybody was coming in the next day. People were going to stay at my house again. I just started thinking about it. And I was like, okay, I, we can definitely shoot this weekend because we're just starting to close down. But what happens if next weekend, because I was shooting in two weekends again, mm -hmm. what happens if we can't do next weekend? And that is what happened because, as you know, you know, about a week into it, you know, Ohio started closing down. We were, Indiana was closing down. I mean, really closing down. And now we weren't coming back in three weeks. We were coming back maybe in a couple months. And then that couple months turned into 17 months for us that I was at home sitting right here like this. So um, I'm glad that we didn't start because um, I would have had half of a movie that's not done instead of no movie. And it's better to have no movie than have spent the money and the time on half a movie. Because now a year and a half has gone by. Some of these people, I mean, one of the women I cast has had a baby since then. One or two have moved away. Um, you know, there's several things have happened to different people involved with the production. And then the house we were going to shoot at, I think I could go back there, but what if they had bought new furniture in the last year or something, or painted a wall? or So it just, I'm just glad we didn't pick it up, but to be honest, I wouldn't beat yourself up too much about not starting another movie because I don't know, I don't know what we're going to be able to do, e even B movie level. I mean, obviously we've seen Hollywood movies that are stopping and starting, and you know, people that can't finish movies or get, or you know, right now all the talk show hosts that are canceling because they all have COVID, and I mean, so you know, we're in that exact same boat in the B movie world, trying to start movies, finish movies. Um, I wrote a movie for Henrik that had some starts and stops, um, an, a movie that's coming out soon or will be done soon. And it, you know, it was shot over a long period of time because of, very, you know, all the different restrictions. So, yeah, I don't know. Now, I have written a couple movies for other people since then, but I haven't, I haven't started back on anything. And I'm not quite sure when I'm going to be able to do that with how things are going, you know. It's hard to say. Now... If you're like me, I had to uh, I had to find other outlets. Um, yeah, I, I jumped back into this. Um, me and my son kind of started doing um, where we would just talk about movies and stuff like that. <clears throat> and then it sort of kept evolving. Uh, then my son, when when I first started this, I lived in a completely different town. I lived in a completely different you know house. My kids live with me still, um, and now I'm in the point where. Uh, I live in a, a half in Piqua instead of Troy. I live in a bigger house. My uh, my two sons have moved out into their own house now. Um, sure. You know, and so my my son who used to work with me on my show, he's got his own life, living with you know at his own house and stuff. So he doesn't want to have to come over here and work with me. So mm -hmm. I started um, literally my first interview that I I got back into doing this was. Uh, um, I did, um, Eric, um, he came into, in, in here and we did a, a sh shoot with him. Um, and then on top of that, we had technical issues with the mic that we had went to crap midway through the show. So the, the audio is horrible. <laughs> so it's always evolving. Um, uh, I had people try and talk me into, to, to using my time to, um, uh, I was wanting to be, I always joked around about being a horror host and they're like, man, do it. 
Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, there's so many horror hosts. I want to do something different. So I started putting together and hosting Saturday morning cartoons. And I've seen that on your YouTube page. Yeah. And it's my, uh, and I found it, I found a really place that I like being and I like doing that. Um, Cause I mean, there, there are so many horror hosts out there that I, I'm never going to compete with, you know, the thousand great ones out there. And, and uh, you know, the, the, the 20,000 mediocre ones, I'm still, you know, so I just have fun hosting the cartoons and, and hanging out here in my house and doing it when I can. And literally I'll shoot an episode at midnight till one o'clock in the morning. So, and I'm here and nobody else has to be on set. Nobody else has to do anything. I can film stuff with mm-hmm. you. I don't have to have, see, that's, what's nice too, is I, you know, yeah, I, I admit I've got COVID right now. Maybe not right now, but I did on Thursday, on fr- uh, Friday. So I can still shoot this episode because I don't have to worry about infecting my guest. I don't have to worry about, yeah. you know, doing any of that. So well, you're set up there, Paul. You got some nice swag back there. I see a couple long boxes. I see some good, uh, see an at-at back there. Oh, there, there's there's multiple at-ats over there. Uh, there's there some is, nice uh, swag back there. Yeah, that's my, uh, This there's my arcade. Uh, okay. Um, nice gray cat. Yeah, that's, that's my wife's cat, Lucy. Uh, my cat is, uh, I don't know where she's at. She's hiding. So... <laughs> But, um, you know, it, it's, uh, I just, I just like being able to do this. I have fun and, and, um, uh, I, I would love to get back to writing. Um, but you know, I'm like, eh, I don't have time to do that. I've got other stuff. Cause I, like I said, I own, I even own my own comic shop. So that gets even harder because I do. Oh this, my. Yeah. I do, um, my interview show. I do my cartoon show, run my shop all week long, um, I have a 11 year old with autism and, Mm. you know, I try to spend time with my wife and my kids and stuff whenever I can. So I am a busy guy. (laughs) Is your shop in Piqua? Yeah. Yep. Yep. I, uh, it's, uh, called, are you game? It's, uh, I sell video games, toys, comics, all that fun stuff. So, but, uh, now, now as I get, now I get on a uh, different tirade on my stuff. Um, gotta get back to you. Um, who are some of your, um, your influences? Who are some of the people that you, that you've like looked at and go, I I like what this, what these people do, you know? Hmm. I think, um, I think just in general, like, um, I think my influences like in screen screenwriting, uh, you know, I'm more, I came up more in like the seventies and sixties as far as like the kind of movies. So um, a lot of the eighties, nineties in the horror genre, I missed a lot of that. I was already an adult in the late eighties. So I I wasn't really, uh, and was married and start my own family. So kind of that era of horror film, I'm not as, I wasn't as familiar with at the time. Um, so really my influence are really more like 70s, and 60s film, which is a lot of what I was watching and also what I was studying, you know, in college. Um, so I would say those are, that, that's kind of my era of influence. Um, <clears throat> I think especially in, I think when I started, what I, how I learned to do screenwriting, and this is back, 
you know, in like the typewriter days. But, you know, what I did is I um, went to the library and checked out some bound screenplays back then you could, you know, there really wasn't an internet. Mm -hmm. So you, you could check out bound screenplays from the campus library. And I picked movies that I liked at the time so I could read the scripts and kind of learn how they wrote the, the movies. And I think the first couple I took out, I took out um, Spike Lee's She's Gotta Have It, um, Soderbergh, Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Those were probably the first couple that I found that I took home and read because I'd seen the movies around that time period. Um, I, so that that's how I learned to, to uh, I think I checked out The Player, which was written by um, 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 Michael, um, I feel bad I'm drawing a blank on his name because later on I wrote a, uh, I wrote something on my uh, blog at the time about, about um, the screenplay for the player and he wrote me an email. So he must have had early Google alerts set up like people do now. Michael, um, I'll have to, oh, shoot, I can't Google it, I'm on Zoom. But anyway, so, you know, that's how I learned and that was kind of, I was really into independent film back then as well. Um, and so, but, you know, as far as the movies, I horror movies I saw growing up, you know, like Christopher Lee Hammer movies, uh, you know, Italian sword and sorcery movies, like Hercules movies, you know, uh, Japanese rubber monster movies. I was really interested in like those, you know, I mean, I like Tarkovsky, like his Soviet science fiction, like Stalker and Solaris. Oh, yeah. and that's my kind of vibe. So as far as horror movies, that's the kind of stuff. In Indiana, you were talking about horror hosts. We had a guy named Sandy Terry here yep. that was on Indianapolis television. And, um, and I, you know, you would stay up late and watch his stuff. Um, and that was, that's where I saw a lot of those. Later, when I was more of a teenager uh, and had cable, because uh, Sammy Terry was on regular television, mm -hmm. then Sana Svenguli, which was, had, you know, a lot of old movies, but, you know, funnier. And then Commander USA on the USA Network, and he had like, he would have like Mexican wrestling movies, and he had more crazy kind of movies. So that you know, that's those are all the things I I saw growing up: Kung Fu Theater on the USA Network, stuff like that. So my you know my horror influences are really earlier, um, and that's kind of more how I write. I think um, I'm not as familiar with. Before I forget what's that Michael Tolkien Michael Tolkien yeah I guess. and I was so nervous when he wrote me an email I was you know because I'd written this whole thing about the player and he responded to what I said and it was uh so nerve-wracking to me that I I just wrote back thank you or so I was afraid to sort of start a conversation with him about it but I do the opposite now I'm not as like Michael Tolkien or anything but like if I see somebody talking about a movie I worked on online, I do exactly what Michael Tolkien did. I write to people and chat with them. It's different now because it's not just email. So I can, I tweet to people or, you know, I I put especially Twitter, but also Instagram more likely. Um, you don't see as much on Facebook if you're not friends with them. But, you know, strangers talking about movies I've worked on, I often write to them or try to say something funny to them. Because I think a lot of times people don't realize that real people have done all these things. You know, it's just a sort of nebulous idea that these people are making these movies, but they're not real, really people that might accidentally see what you wrote about them. So, and you know, people will say all kinds of stuff until they realize you're listening, and then they, then they're, then they're a little more circumspect. But 
Um, so yeah, I, uh, those were probably my influences. I would say like the first, I think the first couple of movies that really kind of blew my mind were, I think the first one was when I saw uh, Night of the Living Dead at high school. They sh had a screening at my high school at night, like for a fundraiser or something. And I went and it's first time I'd seen it. So this is like 83, 84, maybe. And they showed it at the auditorium and it was some sort of fundraiser or something. Why they picked that, I have no idea. Well, but um, I was thinking at the time, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's in public domain. You're right. <laughs> That's a good point, actually. You've solved, you've solved my childhood dilemma right there. But um, I remember seeing it thinking, you didn't know what was going to happen because, you know, it was so there were no famous people. And, you know, John Wayne wasn't going to come in at the end and he wasn't going to save everybody. You just didn't know. Mm. And I think it was the first time I really got interested in independent movies. And then so not long after that, uh, a local theater, a dollar theater, something showed Dawn of the Dead, which wasn't that old at the time. You know, mm -hmm. that was made in the late 70s. This is like the mid 80s. So it was like maybe a second run theater. I don't remember. But I went to see Dawn of the Dead. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't recognize the people. More outrageous things can happen. People can take chances because it's not a Hollywood movie and there's not Hollywood stars in it. So um, I think that's when I really, really got my interest in Sorry, I ran over my computer cord. I, that's what I really got interested in, um, independent film. Um, but I was always kind of on the fringes of it. Like my brother and I were always into, um, you know, independent bands and um, kind of that music scene. Um, there was a venue in Muncie where I grew up where those kind of bands, you know, uh, traveled, college bands, things like that. And then, you know, I was in, I was interested in zines, you know, and um, I was interested in uh, underground comics, you know, with an X. Yeah. Uh, I was in all that kind of stuff. And actually in both my movies that I made, um, I have a lot of references to zines and underground comics and, you know, independent music. And um, I did that because I've always thought, well, if someone wants to see my movie, and you can see by looking at it that it's an independent horror movie. If you want to see my movie, you're probably interested in other things that I like. Like Dungeons and Dragons plays a huge part. It's not called Dungeons and Dragons in the movie, but Dungeons and Dragons plays a big part in Girl in the Crawl Space. And, you know, Underground Comics plays a big part in Scarecrow County um, and so on. So, um, so yeah, those are probably early influences. Um as far as just what I was seeing at the time um, and what I got interested in, how I got interested in those things in the horror world. You know, you, you talk about checking out bound copies of uh, screenplays. Um, I used to do a comic book show over in Indianapolis, I don't know, twice a month, twice a month, maybe once a month, uh, back in the uh, early 90s into the, you know, <clears throat> There used to be a guy there and he would get, this is all pre, you know, internet where you could find everything. So he would bring these screenplays, you know, the, the working scripts and stuff like that for movies that either A, never got made or, you know, vastly different from what the original version was. Because mm -hmm. um, I remember um, getting uh, the, the, the one script that made me laugh um, and I wish it would have got made is uh, Spaceballs 3, The Search for Spaceballs 2. And, you know, literally, because, you know, I, I don't want to be the, 
I always thought screenplays, reading them like a book is some dry reading, you know, for me. And you're sitting there and I'm just laughing out loud at this script. And, you know, being able to get stuff like that. And I don't think, especially now, like in, in a day and age where it's, everything is, you know, pull it up, boom, there's this, you can read it. And, uh, you know, you have to actually go search these things out. Like you're talking about going to your school and finding the, the bound versions of them. I was like, I don't think people understand that that was a thing at one time that you had to. <laughs> and going to conventions to look for uh, bootleg, I could say bootlegs, yeah, bootleg tapes of movies you couldn't find that didn't, you know, you think now we've got like uh, Severin, Vinegar Syndrome, mm -hmm. you know, places like that that are putting out, um, you know, they're restoring these movies. Well, beforehand, we were just getting v VHS bootlegs that people had made either with, you know, taping off of screen or off of a cable channel or wherever they found them. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was that was a big thing to go around and find these weird, unusual movies. Actually, we were talking before we started today. I mean, that's actually how I met Andy Cobb. I mean, I knew him through public access television. Yeah. But I had a couple of conventions where he had he had a whole thing, you know, Turkish Star Wars and all yep. those movies that he had his side side hustle doing all of that. So um, it is interesting. Yeah, it was a totally different world as far as, you know, and you had to, you know, you either you went to the movies or you waited till it came on TV, you know, and that was about it, you know, and until the mom and pop stores, which, you know, there's really been three. <clears throat> I sort of missed the first one, like in the mid 80s, but some of my friends like the Polonia Brothers, they were really there at the right time for the mom and pop store. And then that second wave in the 90s, early 2000s, which was that DVD boom, where there, there are all these stores just needing content and content and content. Mm -hmm. And then that up. And, you know, for a long time, I was really kind of at wit's end because I was like, I couldn't see how streaming was going to be monetized for B-movie, like the everyday guy. Because yeah. Netflix wasn't taking those movies, right? Hulu was not taking those movies. Amazon was up to a point and then they cut the legs off out from under everybody. Um, and so what was really going to be, but since, you know, in the last couple of years, like I've told a few people like in the last year or so, like my entire career is on Tubi. And I didn't even know there was a Tubi in like a year or two. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah. There's there's um shutter, like everybody's in the shutter, you know, everybody's in the Tubi. There's now there are these platforms um that are kind of offshoots. You know, they're in what I call the long tail, which is, you know, there's a, you probably know this, there's like a zillion people that want to see the new X-Men movie, right? Yep. And then there's this many people that want to see, um, you know, the, the Rock doing something. And then there's some people that like, they want to go back and watch 90s Sopranos. And then there's people that want to watch 70s Shaw Brothers. And then you keep going away out here in the long tail are these people that want to see B-movies yep. that are independent Midwest you know, regional films, whatever you want to call them. They're way, but they're a loyal group, right? So you got a zillion people way up here watching X-Men and you go down and way out on this long tail is where a really strong, fan, a very narrow, strong fan base is. And that's what, one thing I found out over the years is that fan base is loyal. You know, that horror, that independent horror fan base, they will ride, they will be your ride and dies, you know, ride or dies, you know, they will be there for you through thick and thin. And so it's interesting. And that's what a lot of these Tubi, Shudder, you know, a lot of these services now, they're in that long tail of interest. 
they're finding, um, I mean, look at Pluto, the channel uh, Pluto. It's all narrow casting of genres and ideas. So um, there's, a, there's a whole world of that long tail, and that's where a lot of my career has been. So a movie has to be 75 minutes longer. It's not a movie. You yeah. Know, you have to make five minutes. And, um, and like, but, but the host or the host, I think it's called, is not that long. It's 60 something. And, um, and then somebody said to me, but you know, it's a piece of content. So it's kind of like people don't, people don't care now, you know, they want, <laughs> they want a piece. Of content. And that was really kind of eye opening to me because now there's all these services like shutter. Sorry about that. Try to get a better signal. Ah, were you able to see? Uh, could you get? I I think you were just frozen. I thought you were just listening. So did you not get me at all? Or I I got part of it. Um, uh, yeah. Um, we'll go back to um, uh, when you were talking about uh, the Tubi. You were. Um, oh, okay. Uh, Pluto. You were just. I got part of that. If if you don't mind, I guess. Ah, uh, gosh. I forget what you had said that I started talking about that. You had said um, uh, we were talking about um, oh we were talking about um, how we were going. You would go to conventions and get VHS tapes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I don't think people now. Let me start again. So I don't think people now realize that you know it was so difficult to find that content back then that we were interested in. It was. To, you know, to go and search at conventions and meet people and, uh, you know, to find VHS rips or VHS tapes and DVD rips and all that. I mean, it's just a different world now with oh, yeah. um, streaming content. And it surprised me because I um, I didn't really see it coming. You know, like I, I was around when the mom and pop video boom started, but I, I wasn't part of it professionally, but I was around and some of mm -hmm. my friends brothers really took advantage of that you know and uh, um but i was around in the late 90s when the dvd boom started and they needed some in the early 2000s they needed so much content oh yeah and the pipeline was just chugging and running and amazon was but then they kind of cut the legs out from under everybody so but it wasn't really until all these channels like um you know shutter and tubi and uh, all these little roku uh narrow casting channels when that took off that's when i really saw that the you know the content uh funnel was opening up again oh yeah um you know and i've joked with people for a long time that like i didn't even know there was a tubi like two years ago and now my entire career is on tubi which is really surprising to me and i watch it all the time myself now i look for stuff on there um i know shutter is a big uh service for the horror movie community but there's lots there's a tons of others oh, yeah. and i think the first time that I think the first time that it kind of blew my mind was uh, when the host came out, which was a movie shot on Zoom in England, kind of like this. Mm -hmm. Everybody was talking about it and how scary it was. And I found out it was like 60 minutes, 65 minutes, maybe. And I was like, but that's not a movie, right? A movie study. We've always been told movie 75 minutes. And somebody said to me, well, it's a piece of content. And that's when I thought, wow, you know, it's just a piece of content. That's what people aren't looking for movies or 30 minute shows. They just need content. And that's the first time I really, okay, this streaming thing is really turning into something. And there's a way for us in this industry, our industry to monetize that. Oh yeah. Well, it, it surprised me was uh, I, up until, I don't know, a couple of years ago, 
you know, it was movies, TV shows, and now that's kind of disappeared. It's content. It's these guys are producing yes, exactly. content. It's it, you know, I've talked to people who produce stuff from four or five minute little snippets to two hour long shows. And I'm like, okay, how do you, how do you decide whether, okay, today's the day I make a two minute thing. He goes, it doesn't matter. He goes, whatever I get a, you know, idea in my head, I just do it. He goes, because it's content. They're, they're going to watch it because they're already watching this other stuff I do. I'm like, okay. And, um, you know, I've talked to other people who are other filmmakers and stuff like that. And they're like, you know, we're putting out, you know, okay, we could do a full movie. That's going to cost us $5,000. Excuse me. We can do a 15 minute, you know, content and knock that out in an afternoon for $150 for food, you know? And they're like, well, we make more money on that 15 minute content than we would on the two hour long movie because one, no video stores picking it up anymore. Um, you know, Walmart doesn't carry anything hardly at all anymore. He goes, so, you know, yeah, we can probably get picked up on Tubi or we get picked up on Plex or something like that. But where the money is, is on YouTube or wherever in that 15 minutes or whatever that they decide to put out for next to nothing. So, you know, and then, yeah, that's the new model for sure. And it was really eye-opening to me because I came up in a traditional film and television model and that is not it's not of interest to people anymore it doesn't matter no well you know and then, and now the other way it's going the other way where <laughs> you know you're getting these these companies jumping on old properties that have just been kind of languishing out there in the ether and um one of my favorite movies of all time is a little horror movie called eyes of fire hmm. i have two vhs copies of that that i've had for 30 some years um and finally um was it vinegar syndrome uh just released it no severin severin <laughs> just released the blu-ray of it and you know i'm like okay well i can retire these old vhs tapes i mean i got the keep on vhs and on laser disc because you cannot get the keep anywhere right. you know because but you know, there's there's somebody I know at one point the keep was on Amazon. You know, it was the really, really low quality version at one time of uh it it looked like the VHS copy, you know, but they did it and then that got taken down. Um but you know, you with people jumping on the old properties and then you got the people just producing content to be producing content. Um, and there's something out there for everybody, you know, I wouldn't be doing what I would, what I'm doing right now, if there weren't people out there watching it, you know, I, I, when I first started doing all this stuff, I thought, ah, okay, you know, me and my kids are going to do this. It was a podcast and it became, we got on YouTube and then the YouTube took off on some of the stuff. Some of the episodes I do good numbers, other episodes I don't do as, as well, but you know, I keep the podcast there because I have a handful of fans that listen because they're truck drivers. So, and it's yet again, content. People are driving down the road and they want something to listen to, even if it's a, a, a 30 minute show or a two hour show. So, 
I don't know. They they seem to like it. So, but you know, it, it's it's it is a weird model for me to to wrap my head around. I guess so. I don't know. Um, I don't know. If you hiccup there for a second. Yeah. Um, like I said, it's it's a weird concept for me to wrap my head around. I mean, I'm I'm closing in on fifty, and I grew up in an era of you know TV shows, movies. You know, you didn't have, you know, five minute little snippet to enjoy on YouTube, and now you do. You know, and that's people have made entire careers of it. So, you know, it's interesting you talked about uh, having a comic book store because I really think like role-playing gaming, you know, RPG gaming, comic books and B movies, there's a lot of there's a lot of crossover and interest. Like if you go to any of those conventions, you see a lot of the same people. Oh yeah. As my son sneaks up behind me here. Oh he's sneaking somebody's sneaking up on you. Hey bud, what are you doing? Go upstairs, dude. Go go be good. Ah, sorry. But uh oh yeah 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 there's definitely there's definitely a crossover i've got um i mean you go to, you go to the conventions comic book conventions gaming conventions or you know film conventions horror film conventions you see a lot of the same people a lot of the same vendors there's a lot of crossover of interest i think in, in those fields so that's interesting that you're kind of talking you know you're talking about horror movies you got your uh comic book store plus you're obviously collect a lot of stuff with gaming oh yeah i'm i'm Huge gaming nerd. Mm -hmm. And been playing uh, D and D since uh, junior high. So me too. Uh, the, was it nineteen eighty five? I believe. Maybe I think that's right. Yeah, I'm not that much older than you, so yeah, I'm not. I'm not that far uh, behind ahead of you on that. Yeah, it's um, but yeah, it being in the this universe um i've been doing comic book shows um as a, as a business working for either somebody else or for myself since about 1990 and mm -hmm. it's funny because you say you see the same people i i joke around that we go over to, to um the show over in indianapolis which used to be in shadeland and now it's uh um i mean you know where it's at now but you could almost set your watch by when certain people would come in and when they would leave and who the, who the uh, um, other dealers were going to be and everything. And I would go, I went a decade between doing uh, uh, Indianapolis shows and I just decided to do one out of the blue one day. And um, I'm sitting there and pretty soon, you know, the same people came in that I hadn't seen in 10 years around the same time of the day. I'm like, wow, this is is, is it are we that bigger creatures a habit and then my wife's like yes yes you're all that bigger creatures <laughs> yes i agree yep um all right here we go this this is the one i ask uh all the people i've worked the 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 directors and stuff like this you could work in any other genre other than horror what genre are you working in Oh, I'd make a Western easily. If there was an old West town nearby that I could go shoot at, I, I love Westerns, especially spaghetti Westerns. Um, when I was in Italy, 
one time I made the pilgrimage to Chinachita Studios where all those spaghetti westerns were shot. And um, so I would, I would, and I've written a couple westerns for other people, but that's what I would do. Um, uh, I'd make an old fashioned spaghetti western probably. Oh, cool, cool. All right. Um, who are some of your, 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 your favorite people to work with? Um, I think, you know, Mark Polonia, uh, from the Polonia brothers, um, you know, I think people, I don't think we've gotten enough distance on what they have accomplished, um, and, you know, shooting super VHS movies in the eighties that Blockbuster picked, I mean, you know, just, and the sheer volume of work they've done, the, how it's permeated the, uh, consciousness, you know, and these are two guys that, you know, live as rural, well, John has since passed away, but, you know, live as rural as I do, you know, in a very rural area and, you know, have been able to enter that national consciousness as filmmakers and, you know, are truly, you know, outside the mainstream. So, you know, I've always, and Mark gave me my first break. So I've always been an admirer of his, you know, Henrik Kuto is an immensely talented uh, young dude that I actually met when he was in high school yeah. And I thought he was pretty talented back then. And, um, you know, he's, I think he's got, you know, his uh, stars continue to be on the rise. Um, <clears throat> I made a movie, I wrote a movie with a guy a number of years ago named Christopher Sharp, uh, who, has then, who has since moved into the YouTube world and has been very successful. And I've always thought he was really ahead of his time with his, um, with his work. And I, I, I would love if he would make another movie. He only made the one, uh, has worked more in the other parts of the industry since then, but I would definitely work with him again. Um, but you know, those would be, you know, I, I, my good friend, Ivan Rogers, um, who has also since passed away, you know, I, he's a very interesting, uh, guy and uh, I never really got to see a project with him to completion and I would have enjoyed as a script writer I worked on a movie with him as an editor but he was just a really fascinating I mean I could do a whole hour just talking about his life and his I keep trying to convince people to um to um you know look up his work you know uh, posthumously and just see what he was doing because it's really he's a fascinating person he went to high school with Ken Foree you know from Dawn of the Dead uh, he knows Fred Williamson really well, um, knew Fred Williamson. Um, he just moved in some interesting circles and had an interesting life. He did these martial arts movies. Um, and um, it was, it, he's just an interesting person. So, um, you know, I think everybody I've worked with by and large, I've been happy with and some I've returned to time and again, you know. Um, I think Henrik and I, you know, living close together, just an hour and a half apart, that's been a big boon to our relationship but i just finished um you know those are just a couple people off the top of my head that i've known for a while and some i've got to work with a little bit and some a lot and um so you know it's you kind of find out it's it's a pretty close uh you know the b-movie world there's a lot of connections between people you find out oh yeah it's it's, it's a lot uh smaller than i ever imagined it to be um, cause you know, when I first started, uh, hanging out with, uh, Andy at the public access channel in tip city, um, I grew up watching shock theater with Dr. Creep. And then 
I found out that Andy was working with Dr. Creep. So while I was editing my show, while I was supposed to be in there editing my show, I would go in there, end up hanging out with Dr. Creep and Andy while they're working on their show. So not getting any work done on my show. Uh, That's pretty cool though. Oh yeah. And then um, one day out of the blue, Andy's like, Hey, he goes, do you want to be in a movie? And I'm like, sure when and where and he's like i need you here at this place down in dayton and literally out in the middle of nowhere and that's when i met henrik and that's when i met eric and um that sort of just kind of snowballed from there and then uh i remember uh henrik giving me a message one time he goes hey do you want to be in a movie and i'm like sure he goes i need somebody to stand in the background in the office and i'm like okay so I ended up being uh, an extra in Bulldog for Christmas because he asked for people oh. all the time, yeah. And um, the worst part about it is I'm supposed to be an office worker. I get all the way down to Dayton from Pequa, and I get all the way there. I get out of my car, and I look around, and I had a dress shirt that I had set off to the side to take with me, and I had left it set in Pequa. So that's a 30-minute drive one way, and I'm like, and he just looked at me and goes, ah, just stand in the background. You can be anything. Just you can be a janitor. I don't, I don't care. Just this. And um, and it, then I met you know Aaron Ryan. I met some of the other people he worked with, and and uh, I met some of the other filmmakers here because I met them through Aaron. And then you know I, I started looking into you because you know you were friends with Henrik and Aaron, and and uh, you know your name pops up on movies and <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay. And and so I started looking more into that and. You know, and it's funny because it all started because I live two blocks away from a public access television station where I met Andy Cop. So yep. it just sort of just, it's just a small little area. Yeah, it is. And I, um, yeah, I really enjoyed working with Erin. I really wrote that part in Girl in the Crawl Space for her. Um, you know, and I think that's always a good way to get people interested. You're like, hey, I wrote this part for you. <laughs> I wrote, you know, the part that John played for him and the part that Joni played for her. And, um, you know, it's a good way to approach it. Well, I really wrote this with you in mind. And would you come to my house for a couple of weekends? And, but yeah, she's a super talented person. And I, you know, I, I, I had written Calamity Jane's Revenge that she's in and thought she was really good in it. You know, Joni was in um, Scare Waves, the segment I wrote. John, I've seen in a ton. I, I don't think I'd ever written for John, but I'd seen him in a ton of things that Henrik had done. So it was neat to get a chance to sort of make those connections with uh, the, that Dayton crew over there. It was funny because um, right before I started shooting um, Girl in the Crawl Space, Henrik was shooting um, Ouija Room, yep. like right before, and Joni and John play brother and sister in it. And I remember saying, do you think it's going to be weird that they're going to be husband and wife in my movie? He's like, people aren't going to know, you know, that that's the same. Well, as it, Turned out in life, Ouija Room and Girl in the Crawl Space came out the same day. Yeah, I remember that. It was at Walmart. Movies also. Um, and uh, Joni, Aaron, Joni, Aaron, and John are in both movies. So, um, oh, and I think Rachel uh, Rodolfi is in both movies. So, uh, just as funny that, you know, they were shot and just happened to come out. They shot not at the same time, but they came out the same day. So, yeah. Well, it, it's funny is, is that you talk about writing stuff for, I was like, I, when I wrote my movie, I wrote a part for Aaron. 
because I wanted her to be in it. If I made a movie, I always told her, I was like, if, if I make a movie, I want you to be in it. She's like, yep. Okay. So I wrote a part for her. And I think her part is the only part that did not change from the original incarnation to the That's final good. incarnation of the script. So yeah, I, Aaron's such a good kid. I, I like that girl. She's, she's, she's got a lot of talent for, for, you know, and surprisingly, I mean, yeah, she's talented. Oh yeah. And um, I don't, I think that this area uh, doesn't have, the, doesn't get the credit it deserves because there's a lot of really good talent coming out of this area. And yeah, mm -hmm. you get the, 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 the people who are like, you know, oh, it's just B rated, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, but these guys kill it even on a B rated movie. You know, it's not that they're doing it for the paycheck. It's not that they're, you know, the the you know they're not bruce willis that got paid three million dollars show up for one day you know they're mm. people doing it for the love of doing it not for the paycheck and i think you can really tell I think that. people hope that like if they do this if i do x maybe it'll turn into y that'll maybe turn into z i think that's what that's what happens is you know you're trying to think if, if i do this can i leverage it into something else and that's a good reason for doing something, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, and I, you know, some people, you know, you never know who's going to get on the rocket. You know, um, I've told people for a long time. <clears throat> I I knew uh, these two dudes that were at University of Iowa. You know, they did a couple little short horror movies, and I reviewed them on a website that I was uh, reviewing films for. I thought they were good little films, and you know, those guys got on the rocket. They're they're Beck and Woods that wrote. Uh, quiet place you know i met those guys when they were in college at university of iowa um you know there's this dude he sent me a vhs movie that he had shot it was called ghosts of hamilton street and, you know it was a nice little movie and then he made another movie a little short uh that i screened at a festival that i was judging uh a micro cinema like a, a no budget film festival it was in um it was in rapid city south dakota and I was out there, and this movie scared the pants off of everybody. And it was called Oculus, which he then later turned into a feature film. And that was Mike Flanagan. And you know, I got I've had I got to talk. I mean, he sent a movie to my house, and now this dude is you know making Stephen King movies for Netflix. But he was shooting stuff on VHS, you know, um, back in the day, and you know mailed me a movie to review. And um, I remember I found that old correspondence between the two of us when I got out of reviewing for this website. I remember him sending me um, uh, an email. Hey, are you still reviewing? I've got a new movie called Absentia. And I was like, no, I'm out of the business, but good luck with your movie. Well, you know, that was kind of what kicked it off for Mike Flanagan. So it's kind of crazy. I mean, you just never know who's going to get on the rocket. So, you know, you look at John Hambrick, Joni Durian, Aaron Ryan. Henrik Kuto, I mean, any of these folks, you just never know. Something's gonna, something could catch fire and off they go. And I remember John McBride, who um, is a, you know, in the 80s and 90s, really well-known B-movie actor and um, also directed a couple of kind of cult films. He told me one time, you really can't push other people's career ahead of you because it's so hard to just keep your own going. But if you take off, you can pull people with you. You can't push anyone ahead of you, but you can pull people behind you. And I thought that was really, uh, 
really good advice because you just never know who, who lightning is going to strike. And if they, if you have a good relationship, they might pull you along with them. You know, I, and I think if you like, look at Sam Raimi, right. He still has Bruce Campbell. He still has his brother because you, you end up with a group of people you can trust, you know, Oh yeah. you end up with people, you know, you can count on. And so when you hit the big time and you look around and look for those people, and that's what Sam Raimi's done and, you know, tons of other people. Um, Tarantino, I mean, tons of people have done that. They pull the people that they trust along with them. So, I mean, I thought that was really good advice. I mean, you can't push someone ahead of you, but you can certainly pull people with you. And, you know, lightning strikes. I was talking to a friend uh, the other day about um, um, Paget Brewster, who, you know, is in, I think, Criminal Minds or CSI, some show I don't watch, yeah. but he was talking about her. I was like, yeah, I saw her in a, um, a micro cinema film that was shot in Chicago and she was like a secret agent or something like 20 years ago. Yeah, I mean, you just, and the guy uh, who was the janitor on Scrubs was in it too. Um, so, I mean, you just never know. Um, I uh, one time uh, was at a film festival and the guy screened the movie and the two actresses in it you know, I didn't know who they were. And he and I went to lunch and he was talking all about them, but I didn't know who they were. It's like, oh, that's nice. You know, I didn't know they were going to be Lizzie Kaplan and Alison Brie later. So um, it's just interesting. You just never know. You just never know who's going to catch fire, who's going to take off. Um, you know, uh, an old college uh, classmate, he was older than me, uh, who was the mascot at Ball State University was Charlie Cardinal. Uh, that's Doug Jones, you know, who's been Silver Surfer and, and all the Del Toro movies and all that. He was, he was the mascot at the college, you know. You just never know. Well, the other day, um, then speaking of Doug Jones, I was watching. I'm rewatching CSI from the beginning, and I forgot he was just oh a random poker player in an episode of CSI. Mm -hmm. No makeup, no nothing, just Doug Jones. There he was playing poker. <clears throat> you never know. I, I have, there's this guy named uh, Ezra Buzzington that is the longest time was the most famous person on IMDb. You know, IMDb, you can look up cities and see who are the famous people from there. And he was the most famous person born in Muncie. And I was like 15. And then I got to like nine. And I'm like, am I ever going to knock off Ezra Buzzington? You know, uh, which I'm not because a dog named like Rita the hair missile or something like that. Something the hair missile is now the most popular person ever born in Muncie, a dog actor. And so uh, it's true. If you look at IMDb and they're like, what cities people are born in, this dog is the most famous person. Ezra Buzzington's now below, and I'm way below now. So I actually wrote to Ezra Buzzington uh, just to make a joke of it that he got knocked off by. I was trying to knock him off, and then I got to knock a dog off. She's like, no, that's my high school classmate, Johnny, whatever his name is. So it's just, it is funny. Um, these everybody comes from somewhere and has done, you know, everybody's had their peanut butter days. Some of them, some of us stay in it for a lot longer than others. But um, you know, you do it because you think something might happen. You know, oh, yeah. X might might lead to Z. Yeah, see, I, I I have no chance of ever becoming the most famous person from Piqua. Uh, where, Who's the, ahead of you? The the Mills brothers are from Piqua. Um, the guy that the movie, uh, the last full measure is from Piqua and, uh, the guy who created the eight track tape is from Piqua. Uh, okay, you're never going to make it. <laughs> never. I cannot beat the eight track tape guy. 
No. <laughs> no, that guy's probably right up there. The other ones might fall, but the A-Track tape guy, that's 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 gonna be on the sign coming into town one day. But uh no, it's it's uh the, the only other thing was was I found out that one of my favorite comic book artists was a is a guy named Patrick Zercher, and he's now in Indiana. Oh yeah. Um, but he's from Pickle. And nice. I had to I had to find him. Finally found him on uh Twitter one day, and I was like, hey, you know. Are you really from Pickle, Ohio? And he goes, "Yeah, born and bred." He goes, "I lived there until I think I think in the sixth grade." And uh, he sent me pictures of where he used to go buy comics here in Pickle and and all this stuff like that. And I'm like, "Well, that doesn't exist anymore." And I send him pictures of what it looks like now, and and we communicate from time to time. So that's cool. I mean, yep. that's how it works. Oh yeah. Well, Paul is close to my bedtime. Do you have anything you want to wrap up with? Yeah. Yeah, we're gonna go ahead and wrap it up, and uh, I do appreciate it. Um, maybe we can have you on again. You can tell us about. Oh, more I'd love to. Thank you. And stuff like that. And, and I, I gotta can... get over to Pickwar. Yep. Hey, you can come over sometime. I can put you at the shop. Um, we do have a comic book show here in town. Um, I'm trying to figure out when we're gonna run it now because um, we're supposed to. Um, the day I got the venue was the Friday before everything got shut down. I was going to of announce course. every the date and the venue on that Monday. And they're like, Monday at midnight, everything was getting shut down anyways. So I had to yep. postpone everything again. So well, well, I'd gonna, like to drive over that. for that for sure. Yep. I got a lot of stuff I like uh, to look for, for sure. Cool. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Um, we'll talk well, again. Thank you, Paul. What? Sorry. Bye now. Bye. Thanks for watching tonight's episode of the Group Therapy Podcast. We'd like to thank Mr. Oaks Dalton again for being on the show tonight. Uh, we do apologize for the quality today. Um, we'll try to figure that out. And the last two episodes have been kind of rough. I do apologize. I don't know why the internet has been so horrible to us lately. Um, as always, the group therapy is brought to you by Are You Game, the best cup book collectible shop in all of Pickle, Ohio, located at 124 North Sunset Drive, Pickle, Ohio, 45356. And as always, you can watch me on my other show, Saturday Morning Serials, every Saturday morning at 8 a.m. Uh, and we hope to have more guests soon. Um, I do apologize. Um, my throat is kind of gone today, but uh, we will be back and I will see you next time for more group therapy podcasts. Take care.